Hi, and welcome to the U.S. Center for Safe Sports podcast series. Here at the Center, we are dedicated to making athlete well-being and safety the centerpiece of sport culture. Our hosts are experts in the field who will connect with athletes, parents, volunteers, officials, staff members, and coaches to gain thoughtful perspectives on getting the best experience out of sports. Get ready to learn valuable information, shareable tips, and helpful resources to keep you engaged in the game. One important note, information about or reasonable suspicion of child abuse, including child sexual abuse, must be immediately reported to law enforcement and the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, and individuals must comply with any other applicable state or federal laws. Happy listening and welcome, Leslie. Hello, good morning, and welcome to Keeping Your Child Safe in Sports, presented by the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. You can find us online at www.safesport.org. I'm Leslie Mitchell-Bond, and with me today is my colleague, Dr. Janet Rosenzweig, the Executive Director of the American Professional Society on the Abuse of Children and the author of The Sex-Wise Parent, a book dedicated to helping parents prevent sexual abuse of their children. We're here today to discuss the ways parents might recognize and respond when they suspect that abuse has happened. As much as we want to be able to prevent child abuse 100% of the time, we know that that's not possible. So if a parent thinks that either their child has been abused or a child that they know, Janet, what should they do? Well, Leslie, it's really so true that as hard as we work and try, no child sex abuse effort or child abuse prevention effort is ever going to be 100% foolproof. But there certainly are steps parents can take to prevent any further harm when they're responding to a suspicion. One of the most important things and maybe one of the most difficult things to do is to remain calm. And if there are two grown-ups in the household, they need to make sure they're on the same page and have a unified plan for the steps that they take. So really kind of step back and think, what, you know, what are the best steps for me to take that are going to be best for my child and everybody else that might be at risk? I know the thought that your child suffered from abuse, from especially if it's from someone you knew and trusted, really, really, really can bring a wide range of feelings in, in adults from anger at the abuser. Um, many parents blame themselves or worse yet, they blame each other. You know, that team was your idea. If, if we hadn't been there, if you hadn't been late to pick them up from practice, none of this would happen. That is really the worst thing that we that can happen for the child or the family and really people need to get together and be on the same page it's really important that the grown-ups involved explore and share their feelings together before they share anything with the child um, unless you really believe your child or another child is in imminent danger really take 24 hours to sit back, take a deep breath and process what you've learned and determine what systems are set up in your community to help you address the situation. Ideally, you'll find a child advocacy center or a treatment center that has trained interviews. Those initial conversations with a child are absolutely critical to the long-term outcome. And I'm happy to talk about that in more detail if you'd like. Yeah, I'm sure our listeners are, want to, are going to want to hear a little bit more about that, but I, I want to go back and, and talk a little bit more about how a parent is supposed to remain calm. Um, I know you said it's easier said than done, and it does 
sound like really important advice, but I'm sure extremely hard to follow when your emotions are at an all-time high and you're really worried about your child. Yeah, um, especially if it's a younger child who's going to be responding more from an emotional than a cognitive response, coming more from their feelings than their thoughts. If the child really sees you have an intense emotional reaction, they may think that reaction is toward them and they may associate your intense emotional reaction to something they have done wrong, right? So you really want your child, especially a younger child, to be able to see you and experience you as the rock, as the rock that's gonna get them through this rough time. The calmer you are following your kid's disclosure, the easier it will be for them to begin the healing process. Now, you certainly can say to them, say, I am angry beyond words that someone might have hurt you. But right now, it's my job to be calm and help figure out the best way for you and our best thing for you and our family. It's also really important that your child understand that they have done nothing wrong. In fact, they've done something heroically right by telling you, and they've got your unconditional support going forward. So acknowledging both of these things that, you know, you're going to stay calm and do the best thing for them, and they did nothing wrong, is really such an important first step toward lessening the long-term effects if abuse has occurred. Okay, so you're a parent, you've talked to your spouse or your partner, you're feeling calm, you're on the same page, or at least you're able to act calm in front of your child. How do you even begin to start this kind of conversation? Well, the best thing to do is to listen. And one of the most challenging rules for parents to follow is to avoid avoid start questioning and interviewing you know their child we've learned over the years that the way children are questioned can affect their answers and this could present a problem if the legal system does end up involved because inconsistent stories can present make the child look like an unreliable witness and that's we don't want to promote that in any way so giving your child very, very few open-ended questions. And an open-ended question is something that requires a narrative answer, and it can't just be a yes or no. Tell me what happened the last time you were alone with and name the person. Tell me why you feel this way about and then name the person. But giving the child calmly spoken, open-ended questions where they get to tell you the story. And once you get enough you know, from the kids' stories that your suspicion is really firm, then you need to contact your league or team, the Center for Safe Sport, and local child protection. And we'll talk more about that, you know, about the systems later. But once you contact your experts, you should be able to find people that are trained forensic interviewers of children. They're trained and they know how to ask questions in a way that don't lead the child, but can solicit the information in the best way to support the investigation. Parents really want to avoid playing detective and leave the who, what, where, why, and when for the professional interviews. Really, our job is to listen and give the child the reassurance they know that they, you know, to know that they did the right thing and you're there to support them 100%. And even if the report never results in a criminal investigation, knowing that you believe and empathize with the pain they're feeling is crucial to the child moving on. Thank you. That's, I think that's really helpful information. 
what do parents do in a situation where uh, their child hasn't come to them or disclosed a situation? Um, are there certain signs that parents can look for if, if they are kind of curious or wondering if something might have happened? Yeah, you know, it's really tough to be a parent these days, because on one hand, you don't want to see the sex abuse, you know, monster lurking behind every time a coach is alone with your child. And on the other hand, you don't want to be the parent, the ostrich with your head in the sand, thinking that would never happen in my community. Really, really hard, you know, position to be in to kind of walk that line between suspicion and and overdoing it. Uh, But having said that, we also have to recognize that kids that have experienced abuse, physical abuse or sexual abuse, have also most likely experienced it as emotional abuse, right? Somebody doing something hurtful, someone they trust, is emotionally, can be emotionally abusive as well. So given that children's reactions can vary really, really widely, and there's no one sign that orders absolute proof that abuse has occurred, you know, when certain signs appear together, or you begin to see a consistent pattern of new pattern of behavior, that should warrant a closer look, more time observing your kid, observing the interactions with the adult you question. But some of the signs you might want to look for might be a sudden or extreme change in mood or behavior. Um, Now, some people will say that's going to happen at puberty. We understand that. This is a good example why none of these things should be taken alone. Uh, We want to look for a sudden or extreme change in the athlete's chosen sport or in their performance. Uh, We're always concerned if there's a newfound reluctance to go to practice without giving a good reason why. We might be concerned if there's frequent complaints about a coach or teammates that often accompanied by a refusal to say anything further. Um, Always be concerned if a child is receiving gifts or special treatment from a coach or a trainer that aren't being given to other kids, like why is this one child being singled out? And of course, we want to think about physical signs, which can range from anything from unexplained bruises, cuts, blood in the underwear, stress fractures, dehydration, or extreme weight loss. You know, those are the kind of signs where you might want to consult with your pediatrician. Thank you. That's excellent advice. So now I want to, you know, fast forward a little bit, Uh, you know, either way, whether you learn about this abuse because your child has come to you or because you have now been putting together a number of these signs and are seeing a pattern that's troubling, um, you've talked to your child that then what, what should you do next? Well, if you think your child is in imminent or immediate danger, you've got to take immediate action. And that immediate action might be a report to local legal authorities, child protective services, local law enforcement. But addition to contacting the authorities, in order to make sure that your, you know, your athletes colleagues say stay stay safe, you want to make a report to the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. The center has a safe sport code for every individual affiliated with the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic movement, and it includes individuals such as coaches, trainers, and athletes, and safe sport will investigate these reports of abuse and put in place interim measures for safety. They could issue decisions all the way up to permanent ineligibility from the sport if one of their staff or volunteers has violated the code. So always remember that safe sport is there as a resource. If there's no imminent danger, 
in addition to remaining calm and spending time listening to your child athlete, try to take as much control and keep as much control of the situation if you, know, if you can. Because once an investigation begins, you really want to keep the process on your terms and see that it moves forward in a way that works best for your family. We know, for example, that kids, younger kids especially, thrive on routines. So the less you let an investigation disrupt their schedule, the better. As I mentioned earlier, many communities now have a child advocacy center, which can provide an excellent resource for helping you manage the number of people who might want to talk to your child athlete. Just use your favorite search engine and throw in the words Child Advocacy Center and the name of your community, and you should be able to find a trained forensic interview interviewer as well as other supports to get your family through the system. You also want to try to maintain control over the amount of information you share with family and friends. That's a, that's a really important point that I think um, most parents, many of us might not think about because you're, you're, you're still very emotional and you want to share this information with your close friends or other people that you go to for support. So how do you know what to share? Um, my rule of thumb is share as little as possible because because this, con this topic is so painful to some people, because this topic is so newsworthy in some communities, if I would not recommend sharing the information beyond anything necessary to keep other children in your community safe. So if you've reported it up through the league, it's not your job to report to other parents unless you find that maybe the league hasn't done that, but then Safe Sport would step in and make sure the processes are being followed. Um, I'm also concerned about in the household, other members in the household might sense something is wrong and they deserve some sort of explanation, but at the same time, you wanna preserve your child's privacy. So you wanna walk a delicate balance when encouraging your child to keep the information away from their peers. Um, you don't want to help make your kid feel like they've done something wrong, so they have to keep a secret. Rather, you want to help protect them from the gossip that will likely occur when people hear only part of the story and start to spread rumors. And most kids, especially teenagers, will understand if you make the point Teenagers don't really have the best judgment when it comes to what to keep to themselves and what to put out on the gossip line, and you just don't need their story to be out among gossip with the other kids. Okay, that's excellent advice. Thank you so much. So one more question. Um, you're a parent. You, you haven't seen necessarily a consistent pattern of the signs that you described a few minutes ago. Your child hasn't approached you, but for some reason, there's a red flag or two, and you're still concerned. Um, what do you do? That is an excellent question. And it really, really provides us with an opportunity to get back to the concept of preventing abusive acts before they occur. You know, it's entirely possible that a parent might observe something, either a behavior from another child or behavior from a staff member that hasn't quite crossed the line to inappropriate, but catching somebody before they go way down the slippery slope by saying, I saw that conversation, it didn't look quite right, right to me, and I'm going to keep an eye on this. That's really one important thing a parent can do. They can also 
keep of their ears wide open when they're around the kids. If you're the carpool driver, turn down the music and listen in on the conversations going on behind you. They might informally be talking about their coaches or other team concerns. And these conversations could offer you a really good starting point for a dinner conversation when you get home. Parents should try to stay connected with a few of the other parents, you know, of the uh, athletes' teammates and make a point to check in regularly to, to inquire about their experiences, you know, especially those kind of something that just makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. It doesn't feel quite right, but it certainly hasn't crossed over to abuse at this point. These are the kind of things that you can kind of talk about with other parents and kind of together set the social norms of the kind of behavior that you think is acceptable for your kid and, and that team. And ideally, it'll become kind of habitual for you as a parent to do frequent check-ins with your own athlete and make sure any concerns or issues that they've noticed have been resolved. You know, the basic parenting tools of close observation, open communication, these never fail. And if there's a suspicion of abuse, they form a really, really good platform for your response. Thank you so much, Janet. I, I think your last point has been a consistent one on all of the podcasts um, we have done for parents on uh, safe sport, and that is that of open communication from the time your child is born through adulthood. Um, we can't emphasize that enough of keeping those lines of communication open. Uh, really appreciate your time today. And listeners, this is one in a series of podcasts that the Center for Safe Sport has created to design to keep your child safe in sports. If you'd like to hear the others, again, you can find us online at www.safesport.org. And if you have suggestions uh, for future podcasts, please um, put a comment in the section there. Thank you so much.